Hello, this is Josh. I recorded this fifth part of our journey with Martin Laird's A Sunlit Absence the day after George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. I was then honored with a Zoom conversation with Father Laird the next day after that. That was last Saturday. And yet, as I released that last episode, part four, through a sunlit absence, I was having trouble knowing the best way to proceed in the midst of all these uh, protests that were happening across the country. I was asking myself, what is the point of continuing to read, study, and practice contemplative prayer when we are currently in the midst of one of the most important conversations about racial injustice in America, the most important conversations we've ever had. I believe truly what is happening right now is part of the same substance, the same fabric, the same spirit that led to abolition and to the end of Jim Crow. And for me personally, what I'm learning in the last few days, even, is that my voice is not the voice that needs to be heard right now. My ego wants to lead, to speak out, and to teach. But it was my wife, Susanna Childress, who gracefully suggested that a very important task I can attend to is to amplify the voices of the oppressed, to listen to the black and brown voices, and to receive their wisdom, and then to share that wisdom to point others to this good wisdom. Father Laird has so graciously agreed to meet with us in two Q&A sessions. I've wondered if I should postpone this journey with a sunlit absence, wondering if this is a time to listen to black and brown voices who are speaking out against injustice. Why should one white guy lead a podcast journey through the writings of another white guy. As I've prayed through this, I believe it would not be careful to stop working on a sunlit absence. I often refer in my discernment to St. Ignatius's wisdom that we not make big decisions in the midst of desolation. The wisdom here is to not overreact. However, we must not also underreact. So I want to offer you two solid reasons why reading about studying and practicing contemplation in the midst of our nation's much-needed racial upheaval. But first, I want to offer you two challenges as we continue with a sunlit absence. So that's two challenges and then two reasons why we're proceeding with a sunlit absence. So challenge one, commit to practicing contemplation daily for the duration of the time we are reading, studying, and practicing a sunlit absence. The first time I really dove into this, it was in response to Ruth Haley Barton's challenging of me, which is a challenge she received from someone else. Uh, she said that someone had invited her to five minutes a day of wordless prayer for a whole year. The wisdom here is that shorter consecutive daily practices of prayer 
are much more fruitful than longer sporadic practices. Challenge number two, commit also during this time to daily studying, discussing, and doing something tangible that engages the questions of racism in America. Racism, as Dr. King described it, as America's original sin. We often want to hide from our sin, but if it is going to be uprooted, it needs to be seen more clearly. When we make vows like this, it is more likely that we will follow through with our vows if we journey with another person. So I encourage you to at least tell someone about your intention, or even better, invite someone to join you in these daily practices of contemplation and also of engaging the conversation on racism. So I guess that's actually three challenges. And now, what place does contemplation have in the midst of our George Floyd protests? First of all, contemplation has been described as divine therapy. In the midst of all this upheaval, our mental health is being stretched and strained. We each need to back away from the news and even our activism to trust the presence of God in the stillness and to do this even if it's for a few minutes each day. This could even be taking a long shower, a slow walk, sitting outside on a cool evening. Engage those long breaths, quiet your mind daily, and in this way you're opening yourself to contemplation more and more. And second of all, in the context of the work that is before us to heal as a country of racism, the invitation is that I might see myself more clearly, to see how I am part of this problem. Contemplation can be described as centering prayer. However, if you attend to it in a substantial and an extended way, contemplation can aid in a decentering. We get into some of this in this episode, working through chapter two of A Sunlit Absence. The idea here is that prayer allows me self-awareness to see more clearly myself, to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yes, this means that I can see the remaining vestiges of racism that are within me, along with all of that impatience and vainglory. So contemplation is an openness, it's a surrender to the healing work of the Holy Spirit, which we all need, especially now. And contemplation can also open me to further expose my own darknesses so that I can be more ready to love myself and to love my neighbor as myself. So I'll send out some recommended resources for your journey in approaching the questions of racism. I'll put that in the mailer and also on the blog post on the website. Amen.
Hello, this is Josh. We're going to continue with our reading, our study, and our practice of Martin Laird's A Sunlit Absence. This is our fifth installment on this journey. And in our time together, now we're going to look at chapter two. Before we move on, we will do a little review where we've been, and then we'll practice our prayer, and then we can dive in. So again, the subtitle here is Silence, Awareness, Contemplation. Awareness, self-awareness, God-awareness. When we move into contemplation, we could say that Awareness is awareness, that for me to know myself and to see myself is to know more of my limitations and my strengths in perceiving God, that I come to understand God in and through myself. My vision of God is is only as wide and as flexible and as robust as I understand the perceptive lens of my own heart, my own mind, my own soul. So we often narrow God to our person, narrow God to our awareness. So we move into silence because Father Laird is saying that most of our thoughts, our preoccupations are limited. They are kind of stranglehold they're an entanglement so one of the difficulties of prayer is identifying these entanglements seeing this stranglehold and then judging myself as soon as I realize how distracted I am I begin to judge myself to be restless with these limitations what Father Laird is saying is In fact, it is identifying these obstacles, these obstructions, these entanglements, and they themselves become the journey into my prayer, into my deeper prayer. They are vehicles of grace. So let's turn now to our opening practice. The Jesus prayer has many forms. It's surprising that it's that it's just a few short words, but that there could be so many variations on it. The variation that we're choosing for our practice here is just to recite the sacred name of Jesus. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I invite you to calm yourself, to pay attention to your breath, Pay attention to your posture. If we sit too far back into repose and reclining, then we may fall asleep, and that might be exactly what you need right now. But if we want to stay open and attentive to God and to grow in this prayer, then we'll find that posture where we are at attention. It's an interesting mix between 
repose, rest, a posture of calm that is also at the same time attentive. So we calm, so we slow our breathing. We breathe out the difficulties, the confusion, the anxiety, and we breathe in the life of Christ, breathing out the name of Jesus. Breathing in the name of Jesus. Just continue breathing out Jesus, allowing yourself more freedom to be here. Trust that this is real. Breathing in Jesus. Relaxing the muscles on my face. Relaxing my back. Letting peace pervade my whole being down through my legs into my feet. That we would find Christ in everything. Christ in my thoughts. Christ in my emotions. Jesus in my body. Sinking and trusting beneath my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. Resting in love. Amen. Chapter 2 is entitled, Our Collection of Videos. That's a simple way of evoking the preoccupations, the tapes that we play, the inner thoughts, the voices, the words, the condemnation, the uh, lust, the greed the anger, the resentment. Father also refers to this as mind tripping. And so for this chapter, we're going to look at two examples of students' papers that he used. He's a professor at Villanova, and so he works with undergrads in a class I wish I could take. And so trying to put this in a context, we have some firsthand accounts from these students. And then the, th the third movement is a subtitle, Clinging to Distraction Like a Dog to a Bone. So this first anecdote comes from a student who's considering relational conflict. These tapes that we play so much about who we love and how to be loved 
is incredibly vulnerable, so it's appropriate to go right to relationships. The second anecdote is to do with anger. Here in this first anecdote, this is a video that's repeating, and the student's mind is on page 27. We'd been dating for three years. This was the opening sentence of the student's essay on what Evagrius might have to teach undergraduates. He continued, Now recall, Evagrius is a desert father from the, from the 4th century. So what does this ancient have to teach a college undergrad working through the agony of romance? The student writes, She'd met everyone in my family. I even told my parents I thought she might be the one. One day, out of the blue, my girlfriend said she thought we were, quote, outgrowing our relationship and that we should stop dating and, quote, just be friends. My world fell apart when your girlfriend tells you she just wants to be friends. It means you'll have lunch maybe a couple of times and then she won't have anything to do with you. We'll be like strangers. The student goes on to recount his first engagement with his former girlfriend. On the surface, she was all bubbles, but underneath it was like being with a perfect stranger. I didn't feel anything. I just felt numb. I just kept going over our last few conversations in my head to see if there was some opening, something that would suggest it wasn't really over. Later that day, another friend said he saw her the previous weekend clubbing in Philadelphia with some guy who was in one of her classes. She had told me she was going home to New Jersey that weekend for her sister's wedding shower. When I heard she'd really been at a club with this guy, I decided to drink an entire handle of vodka and later had to be taken to the hospital. I don't even drink much. I don't even like vodka. I couldn't deal with the thought of seeing her with this guy, but it was the only thing I could think about. I knew what her class schedule was, when and where she ate, and I could walk ten minutes out of my way just so I could avoid her in all the likely places. She had class in Bartley Hall just before I did. She always went out to the front building so I made sure I always went in back. For an entire semester, I put an incredible amount of energy into making sure I never saw her. What does Evagrius have to say to people today? I think his insights into how to deal with all the chaos and confusion and how to cope with fear and pain have a lot to say. I can say with certainty that I have been helped a great deal. My contemplative practice is the Jesus Prayer. Of all the forms of the Jesus Prayer, the simple name of Jesus draws me the most. Even from the brief period of time we pray during class, I can tell that there is something to this. Our lives as students are so out of control and overprogrammed. To be able to be silent even briefly, is a refreshing break. I can't do this every day, but most days I did.
Usually, I'm constantly distracted, but once I felt a tremendous peace and warmth coming from deep within me. I'd never experienced anything like that before. It lasted most of the day and then went away, but it had a lasting effect. I felt more drawn to that place within that I didn't know was there, and it was easier to return there, much easier. The distractions in my head weren't as strong. Now that this had happened with my girlfriend, or former girlfriend, it's impossible to pray. I'm afraid of silence now. There's too much anger and hurt, and probably a lot more that I don't know about. Evagrius says, quote, When the spirit begins to be free from all distractions, then there begins an all-out battle day and night against the irascible part, end quote. This is exactly what happened. To pray is now a battle. I wouldn't say that I was ever free from distractions, but there had been this warming sensation all over, and peacefulness, and a growing sense that the Jesus prayer was an anchor, or some sort of opening, now there is this panic and pain and anger. Apart from the time we take in class to practice contemplation, time for prayer just isn't going to happen. Evagrius says, quote, The fact is that this demon entertains the hope of causing us to cease to pray. End quote. He's certainly right there. I also think Evagrius is right when he says that, quote, resentment blinds the reason of the one who prays and casts a cloud over his prayer, end quote. Drinking a handle of vodka made absolutely no sense. My friends told me I had a right to be angry because she had cheated on me, but I've always been very emotional. My problem isn't being in touch with my feelings. The more I would act out of my anger, the angrier I would get. At first, it was very helpful to talk about it. But soon, the more I talked about it, the more I would mind a trip on the anger. Evagrius says that, quote, such matters come to mind as would seem clearly to justify your getting angry, end quote. Evagrius says, quote, such matters come to mind as would seem clearly to justify your getting angry. If you restrain your anger, you yourself will be spared, end quote. There is a difference between feeling anger, just letting it be, and acting it out, sometimes in stupid ways that land you in the hospital, Sometimes I think acting it out strengthens it. Evagrius says, quote, Anger and hatred increase anger. End quote. This is something the Jesus prayer can be very helpful for. Just say the Jesus prayer in the middle of your anger. Evagrius says, quote, At times, just as soon as you rise to pray well, at other times, work as you may, you achieve nothing. But this happens so that by seeking still more intently and then finally reaching the mark, 
you may possess your prize without fear of loss, end quote. I think Evagrius is saying that it's just as important to pray in the midst of difficulty as it is to pray when things are okay. With the Jesus prayer, you can do this. It may be startling to you to realize that here in contemplation, we are now in the midst of college romance. This is a scene that could be on some sort of reality show. But it's not that contemplation takes us to some sort of mysterious, abstract, deep, mystical realm. It's that contemplation comes into the very basic, concrete facts of our day-to-day existence into relationships, into conflict, into confusion. The other interesting reaction you may have is that here Evagrius sounds very much like a psychologist. He's offering us insight into how the self works in its slippery slope of dealing with anger, and inner thoughts. Uh, Darkness feeds darkness. And in many ways, we can read the Desert Fathers and Mothers as the earliest psychologists that we have. And where was their wisdom gleaned, not from some rigorous scientific research, but from the research and development laboratory of the prayer cell, of going into your cell where it will teach you everything, as Abba Moses had said, that there are certain things that we can only learn by actually praying. This book, this podcast, can guide us to the precipice of the prayer, but the only way to actually learn this is to do the practice. And there is much wisdom that's gleaned in the school of the Holy Spirit, where wisdom makes a movement from the ideas in our head into the reality of our hearts. And that's the testimony of this student, that even in the midst of your most difficult thoughts, the tapes that play inside of your head, this is precisely the conflict, the obstruction, the entanglement, the stranglehold that becomes your prayer feeling abandonment during quarantine, feeling lonely, feeling resentment about who is practicing quarantine in a strict way and who's practicing it in a loose and liberal way. Do you feel and notice the resentment playing out in your head, judgment, loneliness? This is exactly where we can welcome peace in. Of course, I'm feeling abandoned right now. So I return to the sacred name of Jesus. Of course I'm feeling confusion right now. So I return to the sacred name of Jesus. Of course I'm feeling resentment. So I return to the sacred name of Jesus. And some might argue that we are stuffing these feelings The opposite, in fact, is the case. We are taking these feelings and using them as doorways into a surrender to God's will. 
Amen. I will need to be more disciplined in how I approach each of these chapters. Otherwise, I will be working on this book with you until November. There is so much to mine here, so much to sit in and to consider. It is a deep joy and a gladness to have you on this journey. We can take this quarantine experience and use it as an opportunity God will meet us in the confinement. Again, I encourage you to invite someone to the invitation. As I offer you the gift of these podcasts, the greatest gift you can return is sharing this with others. If the invitation is especially nourishing to you and you've been on the journey for a while, I would appreciate your financial support. You can make donations on the website. At the top of the website, you can find a page there. Any amount is helpful and encouraging. Thank you for trusting me to guide you into this prayer in a time like this. It's a very vulnerable thing. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are finding your way deeper into God. Until next time. Amen.